0: I'm here with Brian Chippendale, the great Brian Chippendale. Uh, his new book, Puke Force. The immeasurable. I'm asking Brian about how he stores his mini comics. Uh, what methods? Many different methods I've heard about.
1: Um, I mean, my method is like super simple. Nice. I have a shelf, nice. and I kind of try to line them up, like little to big, on there, so they don't all just collapse in on each other. So I just have like a little to big shelf, and then when the shelf, and then when that shelf gets full, I like build do shelves. Because I, I currently live in this eight thousand square foot warehouse, so there's never an end to the amount of space and shelving I can fill
0: How can I move into this warehouse? How can I find a warehouse to live in?
1: You can't find a warehouse. Ah, there. damn That's it! It's the last one. Like, damn you! On the eastern On the eastern seaboard. Yeah, I
0: know. Anyway, it sounds like a dream situation. But anyway, the so when
1: inside.
0: when the shelf is full, what do you do?
1: I either make a new shelf and put them on that, or I just grab the ones I don't like that much and I throw them in a box and I close it up and I stick that, in know, like a plot. Right but so, I don't throw them away
0: Right So you don't do the T-word I've talked to a few people here who do throw out some of their books uh, uh, But but obviously I don't
1: Yeah I got them all
0: yeah. I store them Right Now now, Brian, you were at one point doing comics reviews on your blog
1: Yeah
0: uh, Including a great one about Brianaki and Master Kung Fu But you stopped Why?
1: I I like ran out of time And I miss it I miss it like Not every day maybe But maybe like A couple times a month It's not over yet Yeah Okay But no I've been having trouble For some reason In the last year or two Something has happened With me and time Time is like But I think it was like Finishing this book And I finished My band finished a new record And they were both These like long projects Sure And then some Yeah my time got sucked up It was weird my wife's been in just went through two years of grad school, so I should have had more time than ever because I never <laughs> ever saw her. But somehow I don't have any kids. Yeah, I was I was having fun with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be back. I'll, I'll be, be back. back.
0: Uh, now Puke Force you did as a webcomic, right?
1: Yeah, I started Puke Force as a webcomic. It's funny because like I started Puke Force, I wasn't on Twitter, I wasn't on any of that stuff. So at some point I'm like making fun of Twitter, and then I joined Twitter, and then I got like into Twitter. Right, dangerous. Yeah, and so it's funny. It's it, it it was like it was kind of made to make fun of webcomic. It was like everything I was making fun of stuff, and then I ended up getting involved in that stuff. But it was never truly a webcomic in that it wasn't designed for the computer. It's still like drawn on paper, scanned, and really not messed with that much. Right. Like I feel like it I wasn't messing with color, I wasn't like photoshopping shit, like I wasn't really exploring the possibilities of a web comic. So it was like a, it was like a paper comic pretending to be a webcomic. Well,
0: do you feel like that's something you do on Explore? We'll yeah, it is
1: something I'd like to explore. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to make something that was, like, really good. Could still be printed, but is created for, like, the digital space to some extent. Yeah.
0: Now, now, Brian, you were part of Fort Thunder, the Fort Thunder movement, right? Yeah. Okay, and uh, for, you know, listeners, uh, obviously... Uh, the famous, immortal Fort Thunder. How does it feel now when you, you know, walk around and it's like, you know, oh, that's a Fort Thunder type project or, you know, Adventure Time is based on Fort Thunder. I mean, you
1: know. Well, it's funny. I actually, I was having a conversation with Dan Nadell yesterday. Cause he's there's a there's a show in France with a lot of people from Providence through the 90s and into the 2000s, and he's writing an essay for it. and He was trying to figure out. He's just like, what is like, what is all the people that are sort of tied together by this Providence scene? Like, what ties them together, and how does that differ from what like, came next? And I mean, it's one thing I. I feel like there was, like, a rawness... Like, a lot of things that I see that I feel like maybe descended from that scene, like, miss an integral part. And that integral part is that we didn't actually care that much about... Like, we, we cared about, like, the experience. And we cared about... I don't know. There was just, like, this interference in everything that we were doing. Like, it was more about like living it then making it in a weird way or this combination of the well, two Yeah, experiential, very yeah. experiential. It's just all really raw. And so much stuff I see that's like a, could be a descendant of that, maybe. It feels like like it's sterile. It's like a it's like the aesthetic Relative, but it's not the—it's not like the spiritual or conceptual right? like,
0: I think one of the things to me that that, that was most vital about under was the fact that it was very much, you know, per, per, not performance art so much, but it, like of the moment, you know, like yeah. it reflected the moment, what was going on, and it was very much just uh, expressionist in that way. I guess it
1: was. yeah, there, and there's like a physicality to it. It's the same. I mean, my band, Lightning Bolt. I hear a lot of people like, "Oh, this band's like you, that band's like you, like we're a band, we love you, we try to play like you." And a lot of the a lot of the people are it's like these technical bands with a lot of chops. And I'm like, "You know, we're not we don't play fast because we want to have chops. We play fast because we're like kind of crazy or sure. something." And uh, not that we're really that But it,
0: Well it's fun to play Loud and fast Yeah it's fun to play Loud and fast But it's
1: like The important part Isn't getting your chops down The important part Is just becoming like Lost in it And like Yeah If you're really conscious Of what you're doing Then you're not doing What we were doing Kind of Like we were like Our point was to get lost And, and I feel like Some people that take The aesthetic value of it Like they don't they're not there to get lost they're there because they found something right? it's like it's like it was slightly askew
0: I think that's the best way I've ever heard it put actually it's not about the chops it's about getting lost in what you're doing that's 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 great okay yeah. there yeah 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 well what's next I mean Puke Force just came out so what's your next project uh, your, I had an album come out this year as well yeah have you been touring you're on
1: tour. yeah I go to tour we go to Europe on Monday okay. for a month and then um and I've been making a lot of fine art like, I've been doing a lot of collaging for the last couple of months. And I have, like... I might be doing, like, a month of, like, a residency this winter, doing more of that stuff. So, it might be a few months of, like, that. But I also started drawing some more episodes of Cute Force. Um, because I love it. I, like, really... It was, like, flowing really well for that. Um, And then I have... I was drawing, but Jacob here does Mother's News, and I was drawing like a monthly or whatever, three every three-monthly comic for that, and I kind of, I did a bunch of extra ones, so I have like 44 pages of this book kind of ready to go as like a like a handmade mini, then I just try to find the time to produce a book of that, like a small book,
0: Right. so I have a few things. So you stay busy?
1: Yeah, too busy. Yeah. Well, and Mickey here Somehow convinced me To start doing jiu-jitsu So because she does jujitsu, jitsu She's really good at it Wow
0: I did not know that But now I understand everything so Mickey now, is like such a badass Yeah she's a badass <laughs>
1: Yeah she's been doing it For like four years And yeah. she can She can like totally Choke me out Yeah
0: Oh wow
1: yeah, She's a badass
0: yeah. We <laughs> were talking about uh, Mickey's Achilles. Z- 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 how do you how do you say your name? Pronounce your name. Achilles. Uh, Z- Zucchini. I, was, I was right. I it's was just right. Like,
1: it's just like the plants. All right.
0: Well, uh, Brian, Mickey, and uh, thank you so much for your time and good luck with everything. And uh, living in that giant loft that yeah. everybody wants to live in until so.
1: the day I get a big wish. Well, be, there you go. Maybe next
2: summer.
0: Yeah. Well, keep fighting the fight, man. You're living the dream.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great to see you. <laughs>
2: Welcome to more to come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com/slash comics. All right, this week uh, we're at Cab Comic Arts Brooklyn, a terrific uh, wh- what we've taken to calling a comics arts festival. Uh, that's the distinction from the mega cons, but it's here in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, and I have the great pleasure to be talking with Ethan Riley? Really. Really, excuse me. I mean, that's the way it looks, so that's the way I should say, but I only know from reading the, your name off of a comic book.
3: Everyone I know pronounces it Riley, so I'm okay with that too. Well, <laughs> whatever works.
2: <laughs> Mr. Riley, <Really, laughs> Ethan Riley, really, um, welcome to More to Come. Um, and, But one reason why we're here to talk to you is that you are the creator of Pope Hats. Really, uh, I mean, an extraordinary comic series. Almost has a cult status. Um, You know, I I, kind of walked up here because I didn't expect you to be here. uh, uh, But uh, I had the pleasure to meet you in Toronto. And uh, really great seeing you again. I'm a huge fan of the series. Maybe you can tell our readers, maybe give them a little summary of just what Pope Hats is and is about.
3: Yeah, of course. Uh, Pope Hats is my ongoing comic book. Um, I write it and draw it. It's uh, kind of a, it just collects what I'm thinking of uh, at the time. There is an ongoing story through most of the issues. Um, So, in the main story, it's mostly about uh, a friendship between two girls. In Toronto, Uh, their names are Frankie and... uh, Sorry, Francis and Vicky. And it's about how their uh, friendship changes over time as they get deeper into their uh, jobs. And the most recent issue of Popat's, uh, Popat's Ford, is actually a break from that story, and it's all uh, self-contained short stories with different characters.
2: That's true. Some of the stories are kind of science fiction-oriented. But I I admit to being... uh, uh, And they're beautiful stories, as all your work is. But I admit to being completely obsessed with Vicky and Francis, and that the circle of friends you've created around them in Toronto. Yeah, I think when I started
3: this uh, ongoing story about Francis and Vicky, um, I was closer to their age. I was I was probably in my late mid to late twenties, and so I was kind of living that lifestyle of. You know, like, moving to a different apartment every year and uh, getting far too drunk on the weekends and regretting it and having to go back to your job on Monday. And so I think I was a lot closer to the characters uh, then, but I can remember that, you know, the concerns and just, like, the different emotional makeup I had back then, very... Uh, it's v- still very salient to me now. So writing it is actually... it's, it's. I, I feel like it's not a very detached uh, um, activity. But these are people that I've kind of, in my mind, I've lived with uh, for years and it's it's actually been um, kind of difficult to wrap up this ongoing story. Uh, issue number four was originally intended to be the, com- the uh, conclusion of the ongoing story. Oh, really? And I had such a hard time writing it and throwing out drafts that I wasn't satisfied with that I decided I needed a break. And it was actually really refreshing to work on short stories uh, for a time. But going into issue number five, Mm -hmm. um, my my hope is that I'll be able to conclude the ongoing story again.
2: I have to say, what you have sketched in about those characters seems like they could go on almost forever. They're endlessly fascinating. They're so dynamic. I mean, as you described their emotional life, I mean, that's what's so amazing. And we haven't even started talking about your drawing. We'll get to that. But the character, it's the characterization, uh, the humor, the, the, the existential outlook yeah. that you paint in this, these characters as they kind of stumble through their lives and their relationships. Right. That make them absolutely irresistible. Um, I, so I really good luck appreciate on ending that. them, ending <laughs> their, your obsession with them. In one know, more issue, I, I really, it when I, I really see
3: appreciate it. that. And also, um, part of the difficulty in actually closing the story is the fact that I'm so attached to them, and I'll have random notes that kind of sprawl into all these different areas. And it's and to write a drama, you really have to pare it down to an essential storyline and kind of you know follow a certain thread and then. Tie those loose ends together, and you lose all that sprawling information, those little kind of minor details, and uh, which I have affection for. So I'm just, it's that balance of wanting them to be full fledged characters with all those, you know, obscure details, but also trying to just tell a story with a, you know, a beginning,
2: middle, and end. I mean, part of the fascination with the series is that. These characters are certainly um, certainly Francis is kind of in this hot, uh, t- uh, tough, um, demanding climate of a law firm, and you seem to you seem to capture that, or you seem to capture the emotional culture of it without necessarily getting to a lot of details of the law. Right. Um, I mean, I, it, that's just one part of this whole series, though, that, right. that is so fascinating. But well, actually, what I'd love to hear more is what is your background, you know, as a cartoonist uh, and Anything yeah. else you'd care to tell us? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I think after... Are you from Toronto? I'm from Toronto. After high
3: school, I I think I had, like, a, a minute where I thought of going to art school and quickly decided not to. I went to university in Montreal, and uh, basically I, I was trying to consciously uh, force myself to not pursue art in any way. I just I thought it would be, an, you know, a, a sort of a grown-up move to just try to find... Uh, Responsible career with you know stability and security, and I did that. After graduating, I, I worked in government, uh, the government of Ontario for I don't know five or six years. And during that time, just on the side, I would start kind of experimenting with comics, uh, drawing for my friends. And over time, I started making mini comics. And I think the I think one of the main things that happened was. Um, So I had this sort of double life. I was just, you know, living the normal government worker life, and then I also was making weird mini-comics. But uh, there was one uh, small show I did in Toronto where Chester Brown, of all people, picked up my mini-comic, and he gave me really good, like, just he enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, for me, that was shocking. Chester Brown is a huge hero of mine. Oh, yeah, well, for sure. And uh, luckily, over the years, I actually became good friends with him. So, um... I kind of had a bit more of a sense of uh, community in Toronto of of artists and it seemed like something that was kind of like this magical idealistic life to just a fun like hobby that people do and uh, I just, you know, I can't get away from comics, I really love the medium and whether I make any money whatsoever doing it or, you know, more realistically not.
2: Probably a good attitude to have when you're in comics, but go on. It's kind of like,
3: I, I feel like it's its like the medium that has bonded with me and whether it's self-destructive to pursue it or not. I, it just It's something I can't get away from. I, I love
2: the medium comics a beautiful obsession or or are you doomed? I've yeah I mean it's like for me it
3: kind of feels like a mental illness to be yeah, a cartoonist well, it's, it's like you're, you know not, I can't help it I'm you're, sorry You're not guys. the first cartoonist to describe
2: it that way yeah. Well
3: I've Uh-oh. talked to actually I've I had interesting uh, conversations with certain cartoonists including John Porcelino uh. who you know obviously he deals with a bunch of anxiety yeah. as do I and the way I feel about it is that um, like if you're a, car- a certain type of cartoonist you know I'm sure a lot of cartoonists out there are much more healthy than we are, but um, <laughs> it's kind of like we have certain obsessive compulsive tendencies, and cartooning sure. itself is such a, a minute obsessive, uh, you know, activity where you're constantly correcting and trying to very
2: labor intensive. Doesn't even begin to describe. And it doesn't
3: make sense how yeah. much time you spend trying to depict something that takes place in like three seconds. Yeah. And then it's red in three seconds. But the whole act of it is a very positive, creative act. And it's it's almost like we're channeling all of our obsessive-compulsive uh, tendencies to something that's actually positive, and we can share it with other yeah. people. So, I mean, like, I have a sister who's obsessed with knitting, and it's probably, like, kind of a different version of the same thing. Sure. She just gets her energy out by making sure. scarves and sweaters. Yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah, that's how yeah. I feel about it. Um, these, these characters, I mean do they represent in any way some part of your own life? Or are they completely invented or... Yeah, I mean... They're you know, so real.
3: Categorically, they're, they're fictional characters, but they all, you know, it's an amalgam of aspects of me, um, aspects of my close friends, and, uh, you know, conversations I've been having with friends at the time. Um, you know, there are characters that you probably wouldn't assume... Have any connection to me like like Vicky? She's a very extroverted person, and I am not so at all. But actually, a lot of her like m- misbehavior in the series are things that I did back in my mid twenties
2: that I totally regret. And Vicky's like Vicky's an, an actress, and you know, you know, she's there's like a lot a, of guys sort of a revolve around her. She's and her a very free spirit, dynamic she, personality. She
3: lives in the moment and. Mm-hmm. and She's kind of wacky. She has a lot more self awareness that than that kind of character normally has. But um, it kind of comes down to her philosophy of life, which is a lot more uh, a lot more dauntless than uh, Francis's character. And Francis, she tends to be. Uh, but she's
2: like a legal secretary. Yeah, she's a, so a law she's clerk. she's kind of she's interesting and, and and insightful, but she's you know she's kind of rooted. Yeah, and and she sort of provides this. You know, anchor uh, or or something for Vicky to revolve around to to a certain extent, Right. and another, like getting the rent paid and other and other yeah. aspects of their relationship. Well, they I mean they
3: have a really good dynamic together as friends, and uh, but you know they're both each other's protectors yes. and champions, and um, and I, I'm you know I I obviously um, I kind of uh, a lot of Francis comes from I guess my backgrounds. Uh, uh, just being a very introverted person and worrying way too much and being anxious. Um, she, she's the kind of person that you would know would make a lot of good decisions, but, but you can tell that all of her personal problems she keeps to herself. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you know, there are other characters too, like the co-workers of Francis and um, uh, a guy who is kind of a, a romantic interest of Francis's, uh, Peter, and they all um, mm-hmm. kind of are very familiar people to me. Yeah.
2: May I ask, I mean, where does, where does the, the, the law firm culture come from? Do you, do you have some connection with that? I don't mean to be nosy. No, I, uh, I mean, a lot of these interviews are sort of meant to destroy the mystery of art, so I apologize <laughs> right. in advance. But yeah. it, but your ability to create that culture and the personalities that inhabit it, this obstacle course right. uh, that Francis has to negotiate in right. her daily life, absolutely fascinating. Because you deal with humor and, and insight and some sense of the emotional trauma that these characters have to go through right. in this awful corporate climate. Right. Well, I I think it's uh, generally speaking,
3: it's a climate that I'm. I'm fairly accustomed to. I've never worked in a... I've never set foot in a law firm. Um, as a government worker, I guess I had, uh, uh, you know, um, occasional business with a lawyer, but but I, I don't know what it's like to be a lawyer. I do some research. Um, I think one of the things that affected me was at the time that I started uh, becoming more serious about making comics and releasing comics, it was basically the... Uh, financial meltdown and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, everyone was uh, just feeling it, you know, the economy crashing, people losing their jobs, you know, families, hardworking families, you know, being at risk of, of losing their houses. And I saw on the corporate side how companies were affected and everyone was basically scared. So there's a, kind of a weird dark cloud that looms over all of this. But also, you know, once your years past that financial insecurity for a large corporate um, climate, it's like you know, it's they still have the same concerns. Sure. They're still competitive. Everyone's. Uh, you know, it's kind of a rat race for certain cultures, but um, that's, you know, it's it's how they make their money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know why, to be honest, like there are a lot of things that I end up writing about and researching mm-hmm. that I don't understand why I'm interested in them. Yeah, sure. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things, I guess one of the things that I'm trying to convey is the experience of, of being in your 20s and then maturing in a point where you realize that this climate is going to be a big part of your life and mm-hmm. whether you can accept that or not. Mm-hmm. So it's really just about kind of growing yeah. up as a person. Mm-hmm.
2: So you're preparing another issue of, of Pope Hats and you, you want to give us a little... I mean, I know I've, yeah. I'm so focused on Vicky and Francis <laughs> and I apologize not to, not to neglect your other stories, I, no, which I, I also love that. as well. Well, you know, one thing I did want to ask you is your drawing. Are you, You're totally self-taught. I mean, one of the things about your drawing is your facility... Your ability to, to to craft, you know, a representationally oriented comic that's loose but still very precise—it's uh, really impressive uh, illustrational technique. Uh, that, that's a huge compliment.
3: I mean, I think. Uh, it would only be fair to say any of that if I put out comics regularly, which I don't. Uh, I'm well, making widgets here, you know. You, you... The main problem with me is I'm I'm slow as hell, so uh, I have uh, yeah, molasses slow approach to making comics. Um, but I'm working on that. I'm trying to be a bit more efficient. Yeah. Um, I am more. You asked earlier yeah, to... um, for issue five, which I am working on. I'm writing it. It is a return to the main ongoing story with Francis and Vicky, and um, I'm hoping I'll be able to
2: conclude this story within uh, one issue or one and a half issues. Okay, so uh, at some point, can we see a a collection, or uh, I mean, of all your work, or of the the Vicky and Francis stories? I mean, do they have a their own separate um, title or series? Is Pope have the the ongoing? Periodical series, which is, which seems to have other stories as well, yeah. or is there a separate? Yeah, no uh, name for the. My hope is that Popat's will always be something
3: that exists as long as I live. I'll be making issues in my sixties about. You know, getting cancer or whatnot. Um, Can't wait for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, torture, yeah. I, I don't know about other people, but it's very reassuring to me if, like, you know, I end up getting addicted to heroin. I'll write a story no, about Star that. Yeah, so. That'll be issue
2: seventeen. Everything's grist for the mill. Um, but yeah, Popat's
3: <laughs> is just kind of like a, a, a placeholder for what I'm interested in. And mm-hmm. in the story about Francis and Vicky. Yeah. As soon as it's finished, I'm gonna I'm gonna work. Uh, uh, to create a collection, a nice, tidy collection, and I think it would be—it would constitute my my first graphic novel. Right. So I'm looking forward to that.
2: Great. Well, you you get it out there, we'll <laughs> review it. I need a book format to review it, but right. I, I I can't wait to to you put it together that way. Uh, uh, obviously, take as long as you need. There, every issue is absolutely superb. I tell you, when, when people read this issue, they're hooked. So you got something. Something is working, no matter how long it takes you to work it. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Calvin. Look, uh, Ethan, thank you so much for being on More to Come.
0: Hi. All right. Heidi McDonald here at Comic Arts Brooklyn. This time I'm with Leslie Stein, creator of Eye of the Majestic Creature. Uh, The second volume is out. Uh, She's got, like, pages from the third volume and a book in front of her. Leslie, we're asking people... Uh, we all come to these small press shows, we get a lot of small press comics, we get a lot of mini-comics, they're different sizes, they're different shapes. Uh, how do you store yours? Just um,
4: give me a of how I store mine. So, I have a box that looks kind of like a box you store vinyl seven inches in, and I just kind of throw them all in there until it piles up and then I get a new one. But there's really no good system that I've found yet, because, you know, obviously they're going to fall out of here. You know, um, um, out in the,
0: out the in between other books, Sorry. Um, yeah. It's sort of half box. That's right, cool. right. That seems to be the consensus. Most people do uh, a lot of box throwing. Um, like if you're a pack rat like me, you might have about ten boxes. Other people, minimalist, one box, but uh no when you go through it, do you like keep some? Do you I mean I don't wanna say the T word, but maybe I do. I don't Okay. I throw have... out, throw <laughs> out <laughs> yeah, I do. Wow.
4: Um I have all this stuff in my house all the time you know what I mean and some of them they are made cheaply and eventually the stuff that's amazing is going to find itself in it Right. um, that's true that is true I'm not too worried about losing it now you
0: your comic I am the majestic creature Uh, now do you do this as a web comic or do you do it as
4: print I mean how does it Uh, I do this for print I do it as a two page spread Uh, I think about it how it looks in the book and then I have another project that I serialized Web, um, that's now in a book that's out from Canoe Graphics from Bright Night at Midnight. Right, um, right, of course, yes. So, yeah. I kind of played around with both and I think the most interesting thing with putting it online is, yeah, the feedback loop and how that influences the art Yeah? You know, to like, oh, we love this and, oh, I'll keep, I'll keep pushing it. But I feel like when you're doing it from print and I had not put anything online for years and years and years and I was living in this total bubble, um, you know, it, it, that,
0: yeah. Um, I mean do you find the feedback of putting things on the web though? I mean, does that kind of give you more I'll just feed your <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know. I so. yeah. You know, everyone's an artist and they
4: want to be loved, you know. So Right, right, yeah.
0: I mean, how is your book doing for Fantagraphics It just came out, right? What is the what's yeah. it about?
4: Um, it's so about <laughs> uh, I had, like, a terrible insomnia, and I was uh, bartending last year, and so I had tons of time to kill at night, and I was by myself, so I just decided to make paintings and drawings every day. So uh, I did that, grew up on Tumblr for a few months, talked to Gary Groth kind of Kinegrapics, and said, you want to do a book? We did a book. And uh, yeah, it's sold out today already, so I'm happy. Oh, congratulations! Yeah. No, I, the majestic creature, uh, is it's also is that autobiographical? It's kind of about a family
0: with their their uh, issues. It's uh, it's semi-autobiographical. Okay. Like she, the character is based on me, but she has her own personality that has aspects outside of myself, and then she has like uh, she
4: looks like her guitar, on. Able to do. That's
0: your fantasy is to live in the country?
4: And be yeah. well, I can't drive, so oh. this is not an option
0: for me really. Right. Where do you live? I live in Brooklyn. Oh okay. <laughs> so you live in a place where you can live a very satisfying life without being able to drive. Yeah,
4: exactly. And be yeah. independent. That's yeah. like most important thing. <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, that uh that driving thing can be pretty scary. So, especially in New York. It's probably the most terrifying experience I've ever had driving in New York. Oh, I
4: have a phobia. I grew up in Chicago, and even then, I, I try to take driver's ed and I just would flip out every time I was behind the wheel. I just Oh, uh, okay. Do it. But I think a lot of cartoonists can drive. Like Noah, you can Yeah,
0: not drive. we yeah. This is Noah Van Skyver. Here is uh, Leslie's table man. Yeah, I come yeah. at me. Yeah, now, Noah, how do you <laughs> store your mini colors?
5: I just throw them in several the boxes all the time. Yeah, I
0: throw them in a box method. Now, I talked to one person. Who's actually a publisher? Who's like, oh well, I went to um, uh, you know Crate and Barrel and I bought these bookshelves and they are the perfect size. I have them organized and sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's kind of the dream, maybe. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So you don't drive either? No, Didn't no. you? weren't you living in Denver? Yeah, or? but you don't need to drive to live in Denver. Denver is oh, pretty really? compact. Yeah. Yeah. So. You don't have to go up and down
5: mountains. Like that no, would be no, my. No. That's like that's not Denver's like on the plains. It's not in the mountains. So yeah like a
0: small city. Okay. I, my, my knowledge of geography outside of uh, New York City is very limited, just like that New Yorker cover. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, well, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you know, you guys, uh, well, Noah, you kind of vary between autobiographical and, and made generic. up comics, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. What decides what you're going to do or which is which? I mean, you know, what inspires you? Yeah. Uh,
5: inspiration, I guess. I don't know. That, that's a hard question for some reason. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: don't have an answer. Okay. Just you wake up in the morning and you're like. Whatever I feel like doing, I'll do. Yeah,
4: Yeah. that's fine. Yeah.
0: It sounds like a stupid answer. Like
4: whatever. Yeah. yeah, It's fine. You do what you do. Yeah. You just pop, in the old key,
0: you know. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk about us with our shoe, your shoe boxes. So, uh, (laughs) and Leslie, Noah, thank you. Uh, Good luck with the rest of the show. Thank Thank you. All right, I'm here with. Uh, Barry and Leon, the Secret Acres duo here, an amazing publisher, but right now, Leon, we're talking about how do you store your mini-comics? We all come to these shows, we wander around, we get so many amazing books in different sizes, different shapes, and different colors. What do we do with them when we get home? How do you store them?
5: A million years ago, when we first started, we were going through thousands of mini-comics a month, and that's actually not much of an exaggeration. We used to put them in milk crates in hanging folders. Ah, the hanging folder method. Yeah, I see. which was good because it was good for organizing them alphabetically. But the watershed moment for me, I found a bunch of nesting tables. I can't remember if it was IKEA or West Elm or something like that, but they're perfect because you can stack them, you can mush them together, you can set them you know, lengthwise or heightwise, and they'll hold pretty much anything perfectly. Wow! Every single person who has seen my mini comic setup has wept. Wow, and it's so beautiful!
0: Are the what is the material are they made from? Are they surra- uh, like um, fiber or wood, wood, or they're actual wood? wood.
5: Which uh, I learned because I have had to sand one of them down once after somebody lit now, a candle.
0: Now, now you're getting a little uh, DIY and maker stuff there. Uh, Barry, how about you? How do you store your products? Um
1: I have a, a sort of a small linen closet. With different size shelves on it, and they seem to work yes. really good in there. Okay. I can't show them off, oh but gosh. they
0: fit. Do you put them in boxes? Or? No, yeah. no, I just put them on the. You just pile them up on the shelves?
5: You no, know, they're, they're really need, yeah. like regular books.
0: Oh, I, see, I and if see. You have
5: enough, you'll have enough of the different sizes wow. and that they all work together. Wow.
0: Yeah. I actually have several different ways, Ma. Um, I have. Um, from Ikea, about 10, 12 years old. It was just before the digital uh, revolution, and it's a CD cabinet. It's the ultimate CD cabinet, and it's really the right size. The 14 still full of my CDs, so I haven't been able to fully utilize it for my mini-comics collection, but it is actually perfect. Uh, one outmoded technology, I guess, for the next. Um, tell me how, how things are here at Secret Acres. What do you have uh, new here, this uh, show? What's going on? Or not new For this show, we got nothing. Uh,
5: We have no new views for Gap, which is very strange. And circumstantially, also kind of strange, because we have no artists here, officially. We had Brendan early, but he has to teach today, so he'll be back later. (laughs) <laughs> the middle of the day is just us. Sean uh, Ford houses on the table. So. That's
0: right. Oh, no, you wanted to find. Well, uh, just in case anybody does not know, Secret Acres. They publish uh, Sean Ford, Mike Dawson, uh, Eamon Espy, uh, Edie Fake, Theo Ellsworth. Uh, new new book. It's, it is new. M. K. Reed and Farrell Darrymple's Pale Fire. Uh, a book I greatly enjoyed. It's kind of a little bit interesting. It's just more of a our writer or artist team up kind of fits in a little bit with the trend towards YA novels, maybe, right? Wow.
5: Weird. Yeah. We're actually sort of on trend for once. Right,
0: right, right. How did that book? How's that book been received by the audience? It's been it's been a pretty big hit
5: for us, but I mean that's that's kind of to be expected. Both Farrell and MK are big guns in yes. a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, but for us, I mean, it was a delight when they came to us right. with this book partly because we like the nasty tone of it. It it might be a YA book. Right. But it's got some teeth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a good excuse to finally work with MK. Right. Who has been one of our best buddies forever.
0: Right. Right. No, she's awesome. She's such a lifer. She really is. um, (laughs) Yeah. Now, you guys are well known for writing the best con reports in the industry. Tell me how you do them. Because I, of course, Leon, you're one of many people that I used to work with uh, so I know you and your sense of humor quite a bit and I detect it from time to time but but Barry you're like really like how do you guys collaborate how do you do it
5: uh, Leon usually writes stuff There's probably only a handful that I've done yeah I um, usually start it and then Barry will read it and try and read me in a little bit uh, I usually <laughs> so edit, I, don't get I usually edit it and I usually pull out stuff that is uh, too uh uh, incendiary,
0: <laughs> right? In the, now, is it more incendiary in this small world of the comic arts festivals than in the big world of the cons, perhaps? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody knows everybody else.
5: Yeah, this is this is more of a community thing than, than a transmedia expo. Yeah, perhaps.
0: yeah, yeah. That's you know fair I mean? to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yet, you are quite candid in your reports. Yeah. Why did you decide to go that way?
5: I guess it started. It started in 2010. There was because there was a, we kind of got in trouble a little bit in 2010, and then at the end of the year we decided we were actually going to write about what we were going to do the following year in 2011, and we did our first year-end recap, and it became a sort of recap of everything that had happened in setting up the company, and that was that was the start of it. The response to it was. Tremendous, Right. Wow. And from then on, we
0: felt like we didn't really have any secrets to
5: keep. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it is, uh, it is, hold on, whoops, sorry, I'm going to move around here so I'm not keeping you from selling books. Uh, sorry, <laughs> a little glitch there. Um, it is amazing how much response you get when you talk honestly, isn't it?
5: <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, uh, you know, let's face it, there are very few people in the room who aren't liars is really what it boils down to. Right,
0: yeah. but I mean, the lying is for good reasons. I mean, it's more course, like misdirection. Course. It's not. It's yeah. not about malicious lies. Let's no. get this straight. It's not no, like no, Ben Carson, no. like you know, like uh, I beat up people because that makes good. me seem tough. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, no,
5: we're not. We're not talking about that kind of. I'll say that for like yeah, San yeah. Diego or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not this part. Right, right. But, but it's. A... It's.
5: Uh, I don't know. I. I think because. Especially prior to the internet, I guess it was always kind of tough for people who would do these kind of comics to keep in touch with one another. Right now, that, cons- that, that contact is constant. Right there's there's a lot less reason to be reticent. Plus. I mean, most of the people here, I don't think, have as much to prove from an industry perspective. It's strictly art, and that conversation never ends. Right, right, right. So,
0: yeah, it's it is good. But I, I do. I, I mean, I'm sure I'd join a lot of people in uh, thanking you for your candor and refreshing, you know, cake because. Uh, you know, there's a lot of levels of, you know, it's, you know first is team comics, and then everybody says that the dumbest thing they ever heard, and then it becomes like, but then a new, everybody always wants to team up, you know, except for the two or three people who are real assholes and don't want to team up, <laughs> but it's like, you know, as soon as one team up is disparaged for being, you know, namby-pamby, like, yeah, everybody else teams up and the next day. <laughs> That's,
5: well, I mean, it's it's a carousel. That's pretty much how it works. It is. You know what would be fun? I, I would love to write a con report for your sake, Whoa, Sorry, but for one of the major cons. Ah, there you go. A report on San Diego for the, for the beat would be hilarious. Well,
0: you know what? The offer is open, wide openly on any time you want to contribute to the beat, we will pay you our contributor's fee of uh, a cup of coffee. So that's $5. So, uh, you know, the, wide open, wide open. Um, any books coming out in, in 2016?
5: Yes. Believe it or not, and I, I, you know what? I have the cover on my phone. I can show it to yeah, you for yeah. Uh Gabby shows oh. sick. It's done.
0: Holy cow.
5: It's totally watercolor. We are sending it to the printers actually tomorrow.
0: Wow. Holy nice. cow. Now, this book has been online for a long time, right? Yeah. Gabby's been working on it for how long? Five years? Six
4: years?
5: Yes. I
0: think people are going to be
5: stunned. When I actually read this thing, it's one of the
4: most
5: powerful comics I've ever read.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
5: it's hilarious, but it's also kind of a black pit of despair. So now, I don't know how people are going to react to.
0: it. Is this like this? He did it online. Was the whole thing online, or no, no? There's a lot that hasn't been seen, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first third of it was actually posted, okay. and then. Okay.
5: You get an idea from reading that of where it's going to go, but just how far he goes, Holy to play, cow. I think, is, is going to scare some people. Right.
0: Well, I you know I'd forgotten about sick to be honest because it had fallen out of sight for so yeah. long. But uh, well, he it's, took it
5: down because he was tired of people asking him when he was uh, going to be done.
0: All right. So we can't even send people to it. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, Gabby is the uh, author of uh, what was this? Uh, Monster, Monster, which is a book about how he uh, thought he had herpes and it turned out he didn't. So it's a really interesting book. It's sick as kind of continuing the body horror. It starts out with him just not feeling well and how, you know, not being insured, but it's I mean, it's just drawn in this incredibly visceral and powerful, yeah. powerful way. And you're saying it gets darker from there? It gets it gets
5: pitch black dark. I mean it is the darkest comic I've ever read. Wow. All it right. Just seen like
0: what is the pub date for that?
5: Um That'll be out uh, that'll be a
0: decaf. Okay. All right. Well, decaf then. Uh, decaf debut. Looking forward to May already. All right. Well, Leon and Barry, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us about your storage and your publishing plans. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, I'm here with Tom Adams and uh, um, Michael Fife, who's uh, here. Uh, Tom and we we're just talking about the the end of Bergen Street Comics. Which is why I called you Tom Bergen. Um, and you are moving on to uh, relocating in London. But Bergen Street oh. is continuing. It's a publishing company,
6: right? Yeah, that's right. So we've just put out the third volume of b uh Cobra. Actually, be in stores in January. Um, and we just announced that we're doing Charles Forsman's Revenger. Right. Doing a collection of the five issues that he's put out so far. And we haven't announced, but we've got a couple more artists that we're hoping to do in the next year.
0: Now, are these also going to be in, in the vein of indie action comics? Because I think both Copra and Revenger kind of fit into that a little bit.
6: But um, No, actually. Uh, but they fall in the same vein in that they're the artists are going back to what they were originally inspired by and the kind of energy that people put in the comics, but not superhero and not revenge action necessarily.
0: Right, but, I mean, okay, I might be revisiting a, a uh, inspiration. Ah. ooh, intriguing. Um, what, uh, I, I mean... You're a very small publisher. I mean, you just do very selected uh, titles, I mean, a couple books a year. I mean, what's your, what's your you know, desired level of activity, I
6: guess? Well, right now we're very lucky that the first couple books we came across were really that people who wanted to work with us, we were very into their work. Really right now, we're just doing this as a side thing. as something we want to be very into the books that we're putting out. We're not looking at this as a business where we have to have a certain amount of product out right. every month and... and you know, we really just want to be into the books that we're putting out. Um, right now, there's a glut of comics on the shelves. That people would think they have to put out 10 comics a month for their company to be worthwhile. And, yeah, we're working on the job, so... Do you
0: think, uh, I mean, you were in the retail sphere. I mean, do you think this glut was a problem for you as a retailer? I
6: mean, Yeah, it's definitely a problem. The people are cannibalizing their own business and competing with themselves. Um there's way too many books on the shelves. It's not sustainable. Yeah. And also retailers, there's amount of time that's required now for retailers to go over all the product that they have to decide what they're going to stock. A lot of it's just going to be missed. Right. So right. when Vertigo comes out with all their books, Afterburner, all these other right. it's going to be too much right now. Right, right.
0: What do you uh, foresee? Uh, do you think there'll be a crash? Do you think there'll be a, a, re- a correction? What do you...
6: I think more of a correction than anything else. I don't think that kind of stuff is going to crash. Um, some of the publishers will probably have to tighten their belts as, you know, more and more as some have already been. But, you uh, know, the crash stuff I still think is more on the Marvel, DC, right. variant, speculation side.
0: Right. Now, do you, uh, distribute, do you distribute your comics through Diamond? Or do you have a distributor who is your...
6: Uh, we do distribute through Diamond. Yeah. Okay. So we sell... We sell it on our website, um, we use film and service to do all shipping, but we've gotten a lot of support from retailers, and it have been great. Our diamond orders have been really consistent with the first two volumes.
0: Well, Copra is, um, you know, shock, I wouldn't say shock hit in that it's, you know, shocking that it, uh, you know, Mike did a great job on it, but I mean, it, it, like, their first issue is like on eBay for like, you know. I
6: know, be- that's, it's a... Uh, incredibly well done that's why we're so lucky that he wanted yeah. us to be involved in the collections he's also getting better and better as he yeah. goes which you can see which yeah, is amazing
0: yeah. no it is it's a real it's a real treat because yeah. it is it is a lot of fun to see the indie sensibility that that uh, you know Fife brings to it but then with just kick ass stories in it as well you also, know that, that's a lot of
6: navel gazing going yeah, on there. yeah yeah, yeah.
0: It's, a, it's a good mm-hmm. yarn I think that's what's really important about it. Um, do you sell uh, at these shows? I mean probably you don't personally but but Mike does or
6: Yeah, especially with only a couple of books out it's really people just want to meet the artists. They don't want to just buy the book from us and they can buy it at a store later on. It's really about interacting with the artist, getting a sign, getting a sketch, that kind of stuff. Right.
0: right. Well still that human transaction. Well Tom, we missed you badly, we missed Bergen Street. It was such a great place. It's such a great uh, vibe and a great store, but uh, but you know, congratulations on staying in the game and putting out some great comics.
6: Thanks,
0: Heidi. Hi. All right, this is Heidi McDonald. I'm at Comic Arts Brooklyn. I'm at the Breakdown Press booth, which table, which took me a long time to find, and it makes me feel like an idiot, but I did find it. I'm here with Tom Alden. With Tom, uh, we're asking people. Very hot topic. Very controversial lot of different opinions yeah uh, how do you store your mini comics how do you store your small press comics many sizes shapes colors how do you how do you do it
7: uh, shoe box. a shoebox a shoebox I stick them in a shoebox and it goes under my bed
0: now how many shoeboxes
7: Uh, Like two or three, I guess,
0: at the moment. Wow, I know it fits in two or three. I have like
7: 80. I I got got like, um, there's bigger stuff that I just stick on the shelf with other books. I'm kind of pretty bad at organizing my my bookshelves. Um, And so anything bigger and stuff like that just bleeds into. Leads into the prose fiction and uh, you know the other comics.
0: But I find uh, there's a lot of different methods because as you come to these shows, you get you know you begin to build a collection of people that you like, and it's not always like some people store them by show. Some some become incredibly organized and actually. Create folders or
7: boxes or whatever. It's 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I I uh, I don't have any trouble finding. You know, my space is quite small. I don't have any trouble finding stuff if I want to read it. Um, And you know, I I like to keep things neat, and I like I like things in nice condition or whatever. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know my my things not gonna drop off if. like there's a bit of a scuff and a, a mark on the cover you know so a box is fine right right you know
0: you guys uh, published some of my favourite cartoonists uh, you published some pretty amazing stuff actually uh Anthony Van Fosse, uh Lala Albert uh Janice some book came out last year one of my favourites uh, absolute masterpiece I think uh but yeah how do you how do you I mean do you walk around here and look at cartoonists or do you think sure. to you
7: I'm or like, like with with all art it's just uh, the the way we find cartoonists yeah. and artists we want to work with um, is is as diverse as the artists and cartoonists. So scouring the internet, friends' recommendations, meeting people. You know, that's what's great about coming to Comic Arts Brooklyn, just meeting people and having fun. And you get to talk to people, and then you go and explore their work. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, it just seems like, you know, people who are building up a lot of bodies of work, and, you know, like a cartoonist like Lala Albert, for instance. I mean, she has... Uh, I mean, she's always been very... Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Her art's very striking and disturbing. Yeah. And like, and I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. I mean, that I mean, with like Janice, I feel like she did this narrative that really you know, yeah. took all of her interest and put it in a
1: i mean uh
7: yeah well now uh now the new edition of janice's uh, perfect bound so you can go on your bookshelf uh, right uh with these
0: right right okay so you've gone from saddle stitch to perfect bound right
7: yeah okay. yeah yeah with, with, with a lot of books um i mean to be honest in terms of size generous bosom and janice is sort of pushing the edges of the, of the sort of size you can do for graph you know where where it, where the the where it makes financial sense and um And and for like binding stuff as well with the saddle. It's tough if it's that thick. Um,
0: Was Janice originally a uh, Rhysabrand or Rhysabrand? It is, yeah, it is now. Oh, it is now. Yeah, wow. Um, We
7: we still only have a few books, we still only got three books that are off lithography which is. uh, Mutiny uh, Bay Gardens of Glass and uh, the new manga Ding uh, Dong Circus which is collection of Saki Makis uh, right. which sold out immediately right? yeah it sold in like two hours and that's great that's another thing about doing a show like this in in the UK we'll probably have like two or three people who are sort of a bit in the know will come up and pick up a copy but here people this one swarmed it and it was gone right, right.
0: how do you feel like uh I mean how do you think you know your audience is changing or growing I mean is it is it just people who are into really you know arcane uh, small press books or
7: I mean how do you I mean, yeah what's really nice is um, because we sort of publish quite a, a wide range of, of, of titles both in terms of the artists that we work with and in terms of um, where from comics we're, we're pulling stuff out from whether it's the manga we're working on a shaky Kane book that's collecting a bunch of his sort of like 80s and 90s Brit comic stuff but um, and what's nice is seeing people who are coming up by the manga and then they'll see like window paper, by Joe Kessler and they'll go oh I, I see a thread there uh, aesthetically and they'll, they'll get into that as well so um, so it's good we're just, just expanding um, and getting a wider audience which even though we don't have like a manifesto or anything that, that's kind of one of the reasons we're in this is to try and get more people to, to read comics and read good comics as well. Right,
0: right. Well, you certainly are putting a lot of good comics. Um, you have the second volume of Generous Bosom by uh, Connor Stechalde. Uh Can you tell us what that book's about?
7: <laughs> um, spoilers. Yeah, well, you don't have to spoil it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of a, well, the, the it, it's, it's sort of developing what it's about at the moment. The first the, the first book almost, could almost stand alone um, in it being sort of like a creepy mystery about a guy who, um, who breaks down outside of a house and then ends up in a bizarre situation with a sort of isolated couple that live there um, and then uh, the second book sort of develops that story as uh, as he starts to find out that all was not necessarily as it seemed, and then it took, takes a further stranger turn. So it's it's uh, uh, it's, it, it's building up.
0: Well, I can't wait. I uh, I got the first part here last year, went home, read it right away. It's fantastic.
7: Okay. The the stuff that he, the, I mean he speaks comics oh, like yeah. his page like his page layouts um and it also it, it, uh, as a small thing like how he uses the riso printing um is, is amazing um, it's really really great stuff yeah. yeah
0: it's really good and, and I think what to me is uh, most interesting about a lot of this stuff another cartoon uh, cartoonist she published is Connor Willemson who's another yep. kind of experimental cartoonist but I, I think what I always try to talk about like, I mean experimental comics are amazing you know like of course, for Thunder, you know, Brian Chippendale, Puke Force, I And mean, I get they're not for everybody, okay? I mean, I, I love them, but of course they're not for everybody and but I think a lot of what these cartoonists are doing is, is still keeping that cutting edge kind of immediacy and vibe, but they're yeah. also telling stories that are that absolutely, are very absolutely. involving.
7: Yes, there's. Uh, I, I think one of the one of the unifying things about a lot of the artists that we work with is uh, is a strong sense of narrative um, that that goes hand in hand. Is coupled with pushing the boundaries a bit um, yes, yes. And, and, and playing with the language of comics. And uh, you know that's. It's just good comics, isn't it? And that, it is. that's what excites us, and that's what you know to, to be able to, to be able to work with great storytellers. Yeah. Because, because that—that's it, isn't it? It's it's um, it's part and parcel. It's great storytelling, yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah. through the medium of comics, that is both in the writing and in the aesthetic and, and the visuals. Right.
0: Well, it's a very it's a lot of developments at so many different fronts. But but uh, anyway, I love what you guys are doing at Breakdown Press. Uh, you know, you're publishing just to me some of the really. Uh, cutting edge uh, cartoonists storytellers right now. And uh, well thank you for no, thank taking you. some time, yeah. Yes. And have a good show. <laughs> Thanks.